You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. I'm Annie in America. And I'm Johanna in Austria, and you're listening to your favorite international podcast. The podcast that covers murder, mystery, and the macabre throughout history. As we told you before, we are currently taking a little break to enjoy the holidays with our families, and we normally don't share an episode during our break, but this year we're happy to have some content for you to enjoy while we spend some murder-free quality time with loved ones. We were honored to speak with Johanna's friend Ingrid about the experience she survived when her husband was kidnapped. This is a conversation we had for our Patreon subscribers, and it was such an incredible and moving story that we wanted to share it with all of you. So wherever you are and whatever you celebrate or don't, we wish you and yours health and happiness in the year to come. Yes, let's all hope for an amazing year 2024. And we will be back with our usual content next week. Enjoy. Hey, it's Annie here. And Hi. I am in a Zoom call with Johanna and her friend Ingrid, who I have never met and who apparently there's a story I have to hear. And so I am here to hear it. I'm here. <laughs> We're to all hear here. It. <laughs> yeah. We're all here. We're going to hear it. It's going to uh, be good. Ingrid. First of all, um, she's my friend from Hamburg, and we met when we were both living in Mexico. We were both married to our Mexican husbands at the time and working at the same place. That's how we met. And we reconnected via Facebook. And something happened to her family, which is, I don't know even how to call it. Is it like, a, it's a very scary thing that happened. Everything is fine now. So just spoiler alert here, but uh, maybe Ingrid, you want to introduce yourself a little bit. How did you end up in Mexico? Okay, sure. Well, we probably have to go back quite a few years because um, maybe I should start by explaining how I actually ended up in Mexico. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As Johanna stated, I'm from Hamburg in northern Germany, and um, that's where I've been born and raised. And in year 99, 2000, and I just realized how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> I participated in the so-called international program working at Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida. So at Epcot, you have 11 pavilions from various countries around the world. And the participants of the international program get to work for one year as cultural representatives at the pavilion of the home country, which in my case, of course, was Germany. Everyone participating in that program um, Back then, we were about 100 people per pavilion, so it's quite a lot of people get to live together in a gated community, which was built by Disney, which is also very close to the parks. And as you can imagine, if you put a lot of young people to work and live together, well, it's uh, mm -hmm. we had a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like the Olympic Village, but just Disney style? Precisely. Yeah, that's yeah. What and what, what it actually looked like. And of course, then you had 365 days of sunshine and we had our pools and everybody would just hang out having the time of our lives. It was really amazing. And that's where I met a handsome young man from Mexico who worked as a cultural representative at the Mexican Pavilion. And uh, well, we got married then. 
two years later. Nice. So after my Disney program ended, I, of course, returned to Germany. But um, since I had so many new friends from around the world and, of course, a boyfriend in Mexico, I wasn't quite ready yet to settle down completely back in native Hamburg and decided to hire as a flight attendant for German Airlines Lufthansa. From my base out of Munich, I traveled all around the world. And whenever I had free time, I would head over to Mexico, to Monterrey, where my then boyfriend uh, lived at the time. Sometimes even just for a weekend, because, you know, as a flight attendant, we paid mm. almost nothing for the flights. That's, by the way, another thing I have in common with Johanna. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I here. Amazing. <laughs> and so I think about after a year or so after we started dating, I got to meet the family. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Week Wedding. I have. Then you can imagine the scenario, but Mexican style. So oh, I love that. I love that. It, I, I loved it too, but it was also very scary at the moment because in my family, it was basically my mother, my sister, and that's it. Um, yeah, were, I feel yeah. like meeting your husband's family was probably how my late husband's family felt when they brought home an American. Right. I'm a lot. so imagine back then I had a flight for work from Tokyo to Frankfurt I spent two hours at Frankfurt just changing clothes I took the next plane to Mexico which was another 12 hours so I just spent 24 hours in the air and I landed in Mexico City took the next plane to Merida Yucatan where my husband's family lived well, the maternal side, and um, they were waiting for me. My husband picked me up the air- picked me up at the airport and said, "Well, we're meeting at my grandmother's home, <laughs> and from what I understand, another aunt will be there." And I said, "Sure, no problem." And when I arrived, the house it was utter craziness. There were <laughs> I don't know how many people. Imagine my ex now ex husband spoiler um, mother had. 11 siblings. So my ex-husband and his cousins, they were about around 60 to 80. And then wow. the next generation were quite a few more. And all of these people gathered at the house. So they're very, of course, tight-knit. It's typical yeah. Mexican family, yes. which is beautiful, really, really beautiful. But it's also a bit overwhelming when you just spend 24 hours in the air and you don't know what's going on. So it was, it was, it was quite something, I must say. <laughs> Yeah. But that didn't scare me enough. So and we can, <laughs> I did get married in 2002, had our first one in 2003 and our second born in 2004. And since Germany is very generous with uh, social benefits, um, I had the privilege to have two years of parental leave, which was, was well paid and two extra years with a, a little less pay, but still enough to get by. And I said to Enrique, well, this is the time. Let's go to Mexico so I can live it for a while. It's Anyway, also the culture of our two children and yeah. not mm-hmm. but Mexican too. And I thought that was the best idea. And that's what we did. The initial idea was just to stay in Mexico for a year. But then I fell in love with the country and I said, nope, we're staying. My husband was fine with either one. So um, Mexico it was. And it well, really was. Mexico is a beautiful country. It's Very amazing. Rich. Yeah. Yeah. So rich in culture, in history, in colors, and the people, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Any fun fact uh, Ingrid's children were born on the same day, one year apart. It's like with Moose and you. (gasps) Were you? 
Is, uh, is Moose your brother or sister? Or? So, yeah, my sister and I are adopted and we have the same birthday, two years apart on the same day. But then about seven years ago, I found my birth mom and met my biological family on that side. And I have two half brothers who are also the same date of birth, four years apart. But you all, all four of you share the same birthday? Or no, two different okay. birthdays. Two different, okay. Wow. So yeah, two in May, two in March, but the same day. <laughs> It's just, it, there's a lot of funny stuff. My birth mom and I have the same wedding anniversary. Um, just a lot of funny, funny little things. But I can't wait to visit Mexico, like really properly visit yeah. Mexico. In, I miss it a lot, often, very often. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I haven't been back since I moved back to Germany, which I'll tell you about later, of course. Yeah. But uh, it's it really is one of a kind, and especially the people. It's it's everything. It's not everything. Yeah. The country is just really, really, really gorgeous. It's where my husband's father's family are from, so it would be really nice to go back and visit. Sort Absolutely. of. Different oh, then you, then you get the big fat Mexican uh, family gathering. Exa too? Yeah, <laughs> I think they're mostly in like Aguascalientes and around there. I'm not really sure, but I'm excited. Didn't you visit Aguascalientes too, Johanna? Wasn't that? No, I went to San Luis Potosi. That's oh, okay. where my husband's family was from. That was also mm. the last time I've been to Mexico when we were already living in Austria. And uh, we visited, I think it was... Jesus, I would have to think. I left Mexico in 2009, I think. I think I've been back in 2010 or 2011, probably. 2010, probably. That was the last time, so 13 years ago. Yeah. I don't think I realized it was that recent, Johanna. For some reason, I thought you were... Yeah, I, time, it turns out, is yeah. a struggle for me. <laughs> so you're As living said, in Mexico. You're living in Mexico, and then at one point, you're living in... Cancun, that's where we met. Exactly, that's where we met. Well, when we first arrived, we were the, the first few weeks in Tabasco. That's an actual state in Mexico, by the Gulf of Mexico, not just a hot sauce. That's right. <laughs> my in-laws, well, my father and mother-in-law moved to Tabasco when they were young as there were job opportunities and they ended up staying and that's where they raised their family. So my husband and his four siblings. But um We never had the plan to live in Tabasco, but rather opted for Merida, where all the maternal family lived, all the crazy bunch. Mm -hmm. um, because Merida was easier to get a job for my husband. I was still on my maternal leave, so I was fine. But um, there were just more opportunities in Merida. Plus, it was it's a rather a more international place than uh, Tabasco. So even though it was still very far, of course, from home, it was easier to settle to as a foreigner. So we decided for Merida. That's where we stayed for one year. And I loved my time there. But then my husband was transferred to Cancun. And believe it or not, we really didn't want to go. Even mm -hmm. though Cancun, of course, is by the Caribbean Sea and it's beaches and gorgeous and beautiful. But We had our family in Medida and I had to settle there. It took me quite a while to get used to it. And now I had to uproot my, my roots again that I had just made and moved to another city. I wasn't quite happy. But then after a while, I, I got used to Cancun too. And um, my neighbor worked at a resort in the Riviera Maya, about 45 minutes from Cancun, and invited me to work there too. It had just opened and was projected to be an enormous resort, which it was in the end. And that's where Johanna and I met. That's true. <laughs> And I think we both 
pretty quickly clicked and connected because, well, first of all, we could talk German to each other and then with the flight attendant, married to Mexican husbands and, you know, this kind of... A lot in common. Yeah. yeah. It's so absolutely. lucky that you found each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I was quite sad when Johanna left. I was actually wondering about that earlier today when I thought of the whole story when at what time uh, Johanna left. So 2009, yeah. is it right? I think, well, let me think. I went to live in Cancun in 2006. I've been there almost two years, so it must have been 2008, 2008, 2009 that I left when my dad got sick and I wanted to come back home. Yeah, That's I when mean. we returned to Austria. Well, I returned and and my ex-husband went with me. Yeah. I stayed, of course, in Cancun with my family. Um, I was at the resort working for quite a quite a long time, many years. But um, my other or my passion had always been chocolate. and. I don't know if you actually know that Mexico is the home of cacao. That's it used to be um, actually a currency for indigenous cultures. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And uh, in Cancun back then, there wasn't a single chocolate shop. Of course, you'd have the supermarket chocolate that was available, but nothing really handmade. Yeah. Have any good chocolate. And my idea was, hmm, why wouldn't I be the first one to open a chocolate shop here? So I saved up money. And um, then one day I took the leap and said, uh, let's do it. I'm going to do my own business. And for that reason, I left the resort and we decided to move to Tabasco for a while because in Tabasco is where actually you have the chocolate, the cacao plantations. And I thought, okay, that's a great opportunity. So I can actually learn the whole process from the harvesting of the cocoa beans to the processing of the cocoa up to the moment to actually have the made chocolate in hand. And I First went to New York and enrolled in the Culinary Institute of, of um, America in New York. And I oh, you joined the CIA? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Nice. You know what? I remember that now. I completely forgot about that. I followed that a little bit on on Facebook back then. Yeah, you went to New yeah. York. Yeah. Well, the problem was that that right afterwards the catastrophe hit. So, spoiler: I never actually opened my store, and I had to let go of all of those streams because, well, we. We then got quite unlucky. So about after about three, four months that we lived in Tabasco, which again is the place where my in-laws lived. Um, well, we had the unfortunate event happening that my husband got kidnapped. That's just not a statement you hear very often. No. You know, and that's where we were living when my husband got kidnapped. That's a nightmare. That's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. When I first moved to Mexico, and I'm sure Johanna agrees, the country was a whole different country from what it turned to yeah. several years later. Absolutely. Because when I first moved to Mexico, it was paradise. It was quiet. It was serene. It was peaceful. Slowly and little by little, you would see on the news um, of, of course, crime in relation with drugs but we figured well hey we're just a regular family we yeah. have nothing to do whatsoever with drugs we're safe we're good nothing's going to happen to us well bad mistake <laughs> yeah. well i remember when i was i was never scared in cancun there was really not a no. lot of crime and yeah you had this uh, cartel crimes but it was always like contained to certain areas in mexico yeah, and it was not there. not not involving regular people. It was cartels fighting cartels, basically. Right. Like so. like in the United States, you have gang violence in places. Exactly. But for yeah. the most part, if you yeah. are smart about things and yeah, it doesn't 
you want to say it doesn't affect you because yeah. obviously that affects everybody. But yeah, I understand what you mean. It's not something you worry about in your sphere. I mean, there are people in cities all over the world with that kind of yeah, exactly that situation. Yeah. What happened in Mexico after a while, though, was that, yes, the cartels were fighting each other. And then the government, of course, was fighting the cartels and also a whole mess. But then people took advantage of the situation, mm. of the instability, and um, then started doing their own little side business, um, for example, in kidnapping. So the people that actually were after my family, they were not cartels. Um, that's That's what we know. But they did take advantage of, well, the all-around crime that was was going on. And the police was overwhelmed. The government was overwhelmed and couldn't be everywhere where anything happened. So So you're living your your normal day-to-day life. You're in Tapasco with your family and uh, your husband was working then or? Exactly, yeah. Well, my... And they still have their, their, their business. And yeah. my husband was working in the family business. We lived in a small, small town outside of Villahermosa. Villahermosa is the capital of Tabasco, but we lived 45 minutes outside in the countryside in a small mm-hmm. town of about two to two and a half thousand inhabitants. So very rural Mexican, very uh, down to earth, middle of nowhere Mexico. And of course I thought, well, what's going to happen to us here? Yeah. But even there, crime started to get closer you you would hear more and more crime surrounding us which not only affected people related in in the in the drug scene but also just regular people yeah for example so um what happened the day is my since we were living in a small town there was nothing to do for our kids which back then were nine and ten years old and we used to take my son for art classes in Villahermosa so twice a week we would go to Villahermosa by car and drive back in the evening to the small town that day my one son was in the car the other son was was with my mother-in-law and we drove home well first of all no I have to go back a week before that we drove home with a week before that I was driving and I noticed in front of us, there was a truck with the door open. Not a truck, not a trailer, but a, you know, a, like a soccer mom car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you call them. Like but an SUV. It, exactly. It had the side door open. And mm. I said to Enrique, look at that. The car like a minivan. A yeah, a minivan. Exactly. Oh, a minivan. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I, I saw that and I thought, well, that's strange. And I don't know why, but Enrique said, you know, that is strange go quick, go fast, go all, all, everything good. Give it everything that you have and let's leave them behind. And I did. Then a week later, um, we arrived home from art class. I had just gotten out of the car that day my husband was driving. And I went to open the gate to our house. And um, the moment I had just put on put in the, the key, I heard screeching tires behind me and at the same minivan. Uh, stopped in front of our house and uh, I saw four or five guys, typical image, um, you know, with those hats on their, on their, how do you call it? The uh, uh, like balaclava. Yeah, ski mask. Balaclava. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Which is very unusual because Tabasco is a very hot place. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, they come running like crazy. They had those hats. I knew, okay, shit, what's happening? And yeah. Two guys directly jumped on me. They put a gun to my head. And- <gasps> me to be quiet I was in shock and I 
I immediately knew, um, not even thinking, because at that moment you you don't have, you cannot even think anymore. Your brain goes on survival instinct. And my instinct was to keep quiet, not to scream. And that's what I did. And I noticed the other two guys um, crashing in the car window. And they through the window, they took out my husband, put him in the car, in their van, and they took off. Um, they, before I took off, they also took my bag my handbag so I didn't have my keys by then was, was in the bag my cell phone was in the bag I couldn't get in the house um I couldn't place a phone call because again I didn't have a cell phone oh my god um, yeah so for a, for a few seconds which seemed like an eternity I was standing on the street I tried to get my thoughts on okay what do I do now and um my first reaction of course was to knock on the door of the neighbors to ask for for the phone and I could see that lights were on and I could see the their their um, how do you call gardine Johanna their the the curtains the curtains were moving so they were at home but mm-hmm. of course they had heard what was going on outside so they were scared and nobody answered the door so, <gasps> that's that's awful that and you know that is such a fear in general that i have you hear these stories you know of someone getting it wrong and not answering the door and not helping and that is oh and now just remind me your children one was at art school and the other one was was with uh your mother-in-law so neither of the kids saw this no thankfully my one kid was um i had we were coming back from art school, but on the way back, my mother-in-law had called and said, before you get home, drop off the other son because we're having dinner right now and uh, so you don't have to cook. So That was so lucky. Thankfully, we're yeah. so lucky. Yeah. Because otherwise yeah, yeah. my son would have been in the car at yeah. nine years old. It's just too much. Uh, on a, Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. too much for anybody, but never mind your children. Yeah. A child. Plus, you wouldn't know. Of course, a child would scream. A child would cry. And maybe they would have taken... Uh, him as well yeah yeah yeah. well we did talk about that afterwards and not with the kidnappers but I talked to my husband and the whole thing had been planned beforehand it's it's insane because while my husband was in captivity okay let's let's go step by step so we don't yes yes so um I was standing on the street nobody would open the door I was desperate I had to let my in-laws know but I didn't have any choice so I started running to their home and that's what I did my in-laws back then were old already um they were were advanced in age and running over to their home I was thinking how do I tell them how do I tell them I I feared they would have a heart I feared my mother-in-law would have a heart attack Uh, But of course, I had to let them know. Yeah, of course. choice did I have? So I I went home. My mother-in-law opened the door. I asked where the kids were. And they said, oh, they're in the room watching TV. The door was closed. I knew they wouldn't hear me. And my I told my mother-in-law what happened. She went, I never forget her face. Ugh. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. It, was, it was heartbreaking. That's it was, her baby. It's, yeah, it's her son. It's her child. Yeah. Of course. Ugh. So we we sat in the living room, the three of us, okay, what do we do? What is our first step? And my father-in-law said, well, I'm well connected to the military base, which they had outside of the small town where we lived. And I'm going to go and ask for help, which is what he did. Um, he came back and he said the person he had wanted to talk to wasn't there. So he wasn't able to, to achieve anything yet. And just as we were discussing what to do, then the phone rang. 
and I picked up the phone. Uh, oh God. And it was really just like in the movies. I heard a voice. I still have that voice in my head. I will, I think until the day that I die, I, I have that voice in my head. And he said he, he had Enrique and, um, he said he, he had learned that my father-in-law had gone to the military base and if we tried going back there or if we contacted the authorities, we will never see Enrique again. And then he said to stand close by the phone and he would call back and hung up. And it's so beyond comprehension how quickly they... Her, hear these things and how well they are connected and how everything is planned out, right? Yeah, I think they probably had somewhere in the streets um, watching. Mm. Yeah, so, someone had to be following, watching the house. Yeah, that, and I'm also quite sure it's somebody on the. The, the problem is in in Mexico, um, policemen, for example, depending on the area, but policemen are always underpaid. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the amount of money they're being paid. I know in Cancun. Back then, when we lived there, they they earned about $250 a month. And you, you cannot feed your family on that month. So they depend on other incomes um, to, to survive. And that's so, a huge problem. Anytime you have somebody in power that doesn't make enough money to feed their children, that's a liability. They even have a word. No, is it mordida? The, the bite? Exactly. Yeah. Give, yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I know um, that they actually have to share their mordidas with yeah. their superiors. Yes, and they have to deliver a certain amount of money to them each month. It's it's just crazy. It's a fucked situation for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So then my sister-in-law arrived at home. We told her what happened. And um, in the meanwhile, what I had tried to do is to call. Well, you're going to laugh, but there's a 1-800 number you call for kidnapped in kidnapping situations. And that's, of course, what I did. But I tried getting through and I tried for hours and it was always either was I was on hold or the line got disconnected. So I was never able to speak to somebody. Oh, I, my God. I'm Just the visual of dialing the 1-800 number for your kidnapped, like, and, and you're on hold. Yeah. Like, you call the 1-800. Like, I know everything worked out okay. So part of me is just like, how does that even work? They're like, hi, we know you if someone you love has been kidnapped and we'll be with you as soon as we can. That's what you'd get here. But also the question is, if it's, if you're on hold, how, how busy are they? Very well, busy, yeah. It's, it just brings up a whole host of problematic and terrifying questions, doesn't it? It does. I must say, though, that in the end, I have all my respect uh, it goes out to that force um, of the government because they really did help us. Without them, I would have never seen my husband again. That's for sure. So after a few hours, my first of all, the first, the other first thing that we did is we um, got our kids out of the house, my kids out of the house. Um, they were the only kids back then. My my sister-in-law didn't have kids so they, they, they were the only ones thankfully and what we did is we sent them over to the house of another aunt mm-hmm. so that uh, grandmother had the measles and um, of course they had their how do you call it the infunk um, the vaccination the vaccination but uh, they were small because they didn't realize what was going on I just said okay you need to get out of the house you're gonna get measles so I, I'll pick you up in a few days good good <laughs> of course I wouldn't want the kids to live yeah was happening and um at the same time my sister-in-law finally got through in the 1-800 line to somebody and told them what had happened 
and they filed the the case and they said to stand by they would call us back and let us know when they would have help on the way and that's where when the whole uh, rescue mission started it was immensely well um, executed the very next day they sent two agents over to the airport we had to pick them up in our car in the trunk <laughs> so that if anybody was watching they wouldn't see that we had agents coming into the home so okay hang on because i feel like you're downplaying a little bit the fact that you then went to the airport and smuggled agents into <laughs> your family home I know. since i lived it and it's just our family story for me it's so so normal probably for uh -huh. someone who hasn't lived through something like that it may it may sound well out of a movie but that's what happened that's what right all right so you were smuggling in the the agents exactly so that was day two i must say it was quite impressive how quickly they reacted because the kidnapping was in the evening the day before i remember that mostly because it was already dark outside and for the longest time after the kidnapping i was scared of the dark still today mm. but now I'm back in germany so i'm 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 fine but I remember for the first months, if not even years, I would try to avoid to go out in the evening and in, in dark hours. So um, we got the two agents and I'm not going to say their actual names. Let's just call them Anna and Miguel. And mm -hmm. it was a, a woman and a man. And um, we got them through the back door of the house, which wasn't visible from the street. So that knew what nobody would actually see that what was going on inside the house. And they would stay in a, in, in a room and on the backside of the house, which was a room. Many houses in Mexico have a room for housekeepers, for housekeeping stuff. So it's a small room. And uh, that's where we had those two agents because there wasn't a, um, any window from the street to, to that room. Right. Only to the tech garden, but there was a big wall so nobody could see in actually. And the very first thing they did is they took out their IDs, their um from their special force, they introduced them by their name. They said which special force they came from. They said they were called um, based on the call that had happened the night before and that they're here to help us. It was extremely professional. And um, then we sat down and we went over everything that happened. So what had happened, how the kidnapping took place, um, what we knew so far. They asked if um, we had received another call by then, which was not the case. And um, they would then tell us um, what we would be expecting over the next few days. It was quite impressive because every little detail they said that could happen actually did happen. They have the psychology of kidnappings that well, uh, well. They know how the playbook of the kidnappers work usually. Exactly. There's a psychology to kidnappers. Um, so even though they're all they, they're independent from another, normally um, they act in similar ways. Mm -hmm. And for example, we said the average kidnapping takes place from a week to two weeks. It is very normal that they haven't called back yet because what they're trying to do right now is to build pressure. Because the the more pressured you are, the more nervous and scared you are, the easier it would be for yeah. them to get out of us whatever they wanted. And um, and then they started to do role plays with us. So they we had decided that I wouldn't be taking the calls because me as a foreigner, they could hear an accent. And they could probably think, oh, well, that's a German, and we're gonna get even more money here. Mm -hmm. So we assigned our my sister-in-law to take the calls from that day on, and they started doing role plays with her. 
to what she could be expecting during a call. They also installed um, a system so that they could record each call. And, and then I think the second call came on day three or four. Just a question. So you're all staying in the house, in your uh, in parents' house. in law house, and you're waiting there for the call, and the kids are at an aunt's house, and they don't know anything that's going on. During this whole time, you're staying there together. Exactly. We're all staying together. Um, we, we had the door, the curtains closed, so from the street, nobody could be seeing yeah. what was going on, in, on inside the house. And we would just be all of, you wouldn't be going, you would be scared to go out, but also you didn't have to, you wanted to be there because we were waiting next to yeah. the phone. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. And whoever would call us who would not be the kidnappers, we would tell them, hang up where we can't take your call. <laughs> yeah, right? Of course. We, that's the first thing we did. Nobody can call us so that the line, of course, would be yeah. for when they would call. And they did finally call. Um, I don't remember exactly which day, but it was day three or four. So it was quite a while. It was, we were under so much pressure because, of course, in your head, you have the worst scenarios mm. going on. Um, my ex-husband and I always had a some sort of a connection. For example, um, a few years prior, uh, he was out working late and I had already been in bed and I woke up the very minute he had an accident. And oh. so I was trying to listen to the universe to see if he's, if he's still alive, didn't get any yeah. answer back of course, from the universe. And we were mainly just pacing around the room like maniacs. I can't even explain how we were feeling those days. It's such an immense stress, terror, and of course the worst thinking is he okay is he are they mistreating him is he still alive are we yeah. going to see him again i mean it's a, it's a it's the worst terror a human can go through not knowing you know if your loved one what, what is going on with your yeah. loved one that really is what i remember the most from those days the mm -hmm. extreme stress extreme stress that we were all under mentally and also my body always reacts to stress i was I, we were all a nervous wreck. You hear all the time people who have had people kidnapped, taken, gone missing, whatever the situation. And you do, you hear over and over again, don't you, that the not knowing really is the hardest thing. That's, it's that's the, the hardest. Worst. That's yeah. the worst. And whenever I hear of um, cases where it takes months, years, or they never mm. cold cases, and my oh. heart I wouldn't have survived something like that. Um, no, I think about that a lot. Like yeah. I was widowed young, but I, I've said to Johanna many times, like if something had happened, if he hadn't died, if I hadn't seen him die, if he had just gone missing or been taken yeah. or I would never, I would still be in this weird limbo. Like how no, do there's you, no closure. That's if, there's if, no if you have closure. to imagine your loved one being in pain, tortured, are they, are they crying for you? What is going, you know, that's they're not knowing. It's yeah. the worst. The worst. The worst. Really, really the worst. And of course, during those moments, you cannot concentrate on anything. So it's not that you sit at home and say, "Okay, I'm going to read a book now to kill yeah. time." Or nothing. So your your body was under extreme alert and under extreme stress and under extreme everything, and it was really tough. Of course, the first thing that one does is not eat, not do anything. Mm. And the agents were um, also trained um, for those situations, so they would order us that we would have to sit together um, at the table with them for breakfast, lunch, dinner, so that they would watch us eat and they they would sit at the table and they would not touch the food until we would at least insert a little bit of food. 
So they tried to keep That's up. really impressive. I'm, I'm so really impressed good. with the response and Absolutely. how thorough it was. Absolutely. My respect to those two people, it was, it was really, really, everything they did was, was amazing. And were the they way- federal or state? Um, or different, like just a different, you don't, and you don't have to say. I, it's, a, it's a special force that they have. I don't know if mm. it's federal or state, actually. I never, I, I never, I never questioned them. We did talk a lot about, they, they open up a lot about their work mm-hmm. and, um, that's that's also what I'm utmost um, what I, that I have utmost respect for because imagine those people are being called for a crime but they never actually know if they're actually heading to a kidnapping or if it's actually a cartel or a, mm. or another criminal organization themselves themselves that called them because of course they didn't want these people to exist yeah. because they would ruin of their course. business. No, it's incredibly, yeah. yeah, and it's incredibly heroic to take yourself over and over again, take yourself away from your own family to go into the worst time in someone else's family exactly. and try the, to make things better. Yeah, the female agent had two kids that were younger than mine back then, and I can't even imagine. I, I can't yeah. imagine how how she did that. And the, those are the true heroes, heroes. Yeah. that that are unseen but that risk everything. And to to help other families in need, and and that's what they did. So doing the the first role play calls, they had told my sister in law that when the next call would come, they would normally call with whatever their their demand was. And the first thing we're supposed to say is we don't have that, or we don't have anything at all. And of course, we said no way because they're going to kill him immediately. Are you insane? We we're going to offer them something, and said no, you cannot offer anything. You do not have any money. The most you can tell them is that you can talk to family or friends or whoever where you're trying to get a little bit of something somewhere, but you cannot under no circumstance offer them anything and you have to tell them whatever that matters, you don't have anything. So that's what my sister-in-law did, almost throwing up mm. <laughs> because of course we were feeling so much. We thought, okay, once we tell them that, that's it. But of course, they have the, the those those kidnapping study well, and they knew that they were not gonna do anything yet. But they would then wait. So a few, they said um, they were gonna call back in a few days, and we had this and that amount of time to come up with the money. The money itself uh, was quite a lot of money. It was about the worth of our own family home that we had. So it was quite a lot of money that you just wouldn't have sitting around anywhere. Yeah, because all your money is in your home. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Did you get, I don't mean to um, jump ahead and stop me if I am, but at any point when they first called you, did you actually get to speak to him? Did you get proof of life? Did you get to? No, that's what the the agents also told us that once the, um, once we would settle on an amount, we would then ask for the proof of life. It makes me sweaty just thinking about it. Honestly, I don't. Yeah, yeah, but it, um, that that was that was already in the plan, but um, we had to go step by step with yeah with their plan. And after each call, they would then um, analyze the call. They would send it actually back to their office, wherever that that main office was, where they would also listen to the calls and send back reports and suggestions and such. And then we would be prepared for the next call. Since they had said they had given us that amount of time for the to come up with the money. We knew when more or less to expect a call. So we were again sitting next to the phone and nothing would happen. It would, I think it took five days and nothing, no other call 
came in and we were getting extremely nervous and I already thought, okay, that's it. They killed him. He's not it's alive. nerve wracking. It was horrible. It's too many days. It was too many days. So what I did is I picked up the phone because I thought, okay, maybe something's wrong. And I heard, dude, 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 our phone line was disconnected. No. In Mexico, if you don't pay your phone bill the very same day that it's due, they disconnect your line. And since we were in the house only focusing on the kidnapping, we didn't think of any, anything whatsoever. And, yeah, and oh you had to, God. back then, I don't know if it's still like this, but back then you had to go there and pay. You couldn't just wire the money. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what we then did is we called Telesel, the headquarters, and explained our situation. Said we urgently need our phone phone line back. Can we pay you via credit card? Can you make an exception? They did, and our phone line came back um, about an hour later. Thank God. And then oh the same day, the phone rang again, and it was them, and they were furious. Oh were my God! This furious. is this is Jesus. Okay. Oh, God. I mean, really, when you think, what's the worst that can happen? I mean, we never thought our phone was disconnected. Yeah. No. Oh, God. Years later, we can now laugh about that scenario. But <laughs> back then, it was just, oh, it was insane. So um, they there were several more calls of um, going back and forth, what they wanted and how much we could give until we finally settled on, on an amount. And um, the agents told us that under no circumstance can any of the family members go to deliver the money. So we had to search for somebody that could do us that favor. Now, of course, there are not too many people that first yeah. of all, you can trust with a large amount of money. And second, who wants to risk their own life, you know, for somebody yeah. that's not a family member. But the agents told us um, it happens quite often that if he's in another family, they're being kidnapped too. And then they try to get even more money out of you. So we found somebody oh. who was an employee, a very trusted employee of my in-laws, and he agreed to do it. It's another hero in our story. And then it went down really just like in the movies. They said they're going to call us on set day to give us instructions. And they did. They actually were very punctual that day. And they sent him to an OXO, which is a convenience store, like a 7-Eleven, to buy a prepaid phone number. And they said to put the money in a dark bag and um, he had to get a phone number. And once he was there, um, he would have to call us back at the home, give us the number. They would call us, ask for the number, and then they would call him in, um, directly without us. So to give him instructions where to drive, they did. Um, but before that, all that happened and before he left with the money, of course, we asked for the proof of life. And that's another thing that went down wrong because they asked me, okay, think of a question that you can ask your husband that only the two of you would know. And the question that I did, um, he answered wrong. So oh, no. <laughs> what's my eye color? <laughs> but he was under that much stress too. Yeah. He, he got it wrong. So when the kidnappers called again and oh, he God. said, okay, yeah, the answer is wrong. What guarantee can you give us that he's still alive and that we're not going to give you anything? So oh. he money, and I give you my my word, mi palabra de bandida, bandido, he said. Canoven ere. Canoven ere. Yeah, how would you say that in English? Um, thief's honor, or do you yeah. have something like that, Annie? Like the, yeah, the honor I of think, a criminal? Yeah. Yes, like thieves. Yeah, honor among thieves. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we had that and we, so we thought, okay, 
we're not going to trust this asshole anyways, but what, what other choice do we have? Yeah. I mean, we're just going to try. And if the money's lost, whatever. Doing those moments what you also realize what matters in this world is under no circumstance money or any valuables, but the actual life. When we actually got the money together, it was my job to film the money. They gave me a camera and had to I had to film every single bill because they wanted the the number on each bill mm-hmm. on record. So if they would ever find the kidnapper, they would with those with that money proof that it came from them. That was our money, our ransom money. Oh, okay. And I remember filming that money and having that paper money in my hand one after another it took me forever and I felt so disgusted I felt so yeah by money by what humans are capable of doing to other humans for money it's it's disgusting it's disgusting it, yeah you're buying and selling people basically and you just think how did any how was anybody ever okay with this so um once the our worker went off he did receive the call he was sent in the middle of nowhere uh, out because we were out anyways out on the countryside he was sent out to some random field where there was some random pole and he had to leave that money there and uh, of course we tracked immediately we assumed that uh, of course they had somebody watching him and then we had to wait and see if our if uh, Enrique would come back or not in the all in all this took 10 days so that was um pretty much in line with what the agents had told us what would happen and uh, Enrique on the other hand at doing all that time was placed with a farmer family outside in the middle of nowhere they actually put him they first drove with him to um a, a lake another lake um a rio river then with a by boat they sent him out 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 to the, to the middle of nowhere and placed him with a family that family received 3000 pesos cash back then 3000 pesos 150 dollars i mean that was the worth of my husband yeah. wow family, 150 dollars and uh, these were hired by the kidnappers they were not part of the organization and um, their order was just to keep the the victim there. They had him in, in a corner of the room tied to, they had something on the wall, placed a metal structure where they would tie him to. And he mm-hmm. had something on his head the whole time. And they had given orders that under no circumstance can the victims be fed. They wanted to keep them, well, with less energy and strength possible. Weak, so, that yeah. weak, so he wouldn't be able to escape. Yeah. But my my husband has the ability or the gift to be able to talk to anybody. He's a very charismatic person. Of course, during that stress, he was not, but he was still able to somehow build a connection to the farmer family. He very immediately noticed or he put piece together that he was placed with a family, but that they were not actually the numbers themselves. Right. They were very, very poor folks from the countryside. And I remember afterwards my husband telling me that he had talked to those people and he said, you know, um, hunger is an asshole, but the bigger asshole is the person that has hunger. And that was the reason why they would, you know, do those favors yeah. to $150. For them, that was a lot of money. And the farmer had told him how once his kid got sick and he, they wouldn't even have any money whatsoever to take them to the doctor so 
it's people that live in extreme poverty and for them those other well a, a window of opportunity of is a little bit of income and that's why mm-hmm. they work with those people but thankfully they wouldn't mistreat him they 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 would not do anything to him other than just have him there yeah and i'm sure from their or- perspective it's like there could have been someone's going to take this 150 dollars yeah. to yeah. take this man uh, yeah, exactly. And if they do it, at least they know he'll be all, you know, they won't. That's a, that's a really, did they mistreat him? I think no, that's what Johan was just asking. Exactly. No, they, if they, they fed, him, did he feed, oh, did fed. they feed him? Yeah. I gave him a little bit of, of chicken soup just out of pity, really, even though they were ordered not to. And they gave him water to drink. Yes. Because that's the more. Yeah. I mean, they sound like they were not not bad people you know what i mean they were yeah. empathetic enough they were I mean, really poor yeah I, mean, I would say they sound like victims themselves yeah. except of course they did also make a decision to you know victims but of poverty so exactly it, i think they could be forgiven i imagine your husband their ex-husband didn't hold too much of a grudge no no no, actually, no because yeah. um, it could have been way worse of it, course. yeah yeah, One I mean, don't get me wrong. It's you don't want to be held captive by anybody, but all things considered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he did tell me that the most stressful moment was actually um, when the leader of the group came in and wanted to cut his finger off to send him to us as a warning. It happened when our phone line was disconnected. Oh, cool. no. They couldn't reach us, and so they wanted to send us a warning. Oh, God. But... Um, there again, I don't know how on earth, but that's Enrique. He was able to manage to talk him out of it, and he still has all his ten fingers, thankfully. But uh, it was a lot of stress on him too. Yeah. So the day that the ransom was delivered, and um, they came for him, and they drove with him. Well, first they went back on the river, and then they drove him somewhere out of the countryside, and then they would call us and tell him, "You have to go north that direction, that many miles, and you find him there." And in the same time, Rika started walking out on the street trying to fight anybody, which um, he didn't until, well, the, our worker finally did see him and find him out on the on the countryside. And oh. um, of course, um, he was heavily, heavily traumatized. The whole family was traumatized. It was he's still traumatized. It's been now a few years. And yeah, yeah. He's never going to get over that. But. At least he did survive. So yeah, so that was good. But we decided back then was to go back to Cancun immediately, which we did. And what I think what we were what we witnessed is the worst that exists in humanity, but also the best because once we arrived back in Cancun, we couldn't back to our own home, which we still had. Because remember that they had taken my, uh, my bag with my wallet and on my Mexican driver's license, it's, it had my mm-hmm. home address. Mm-hmm. So I said, hell no, I'm not going back in that house. They know where we live. So a friend of us um, gave us, first of all, took us in in their own home. And then another friend had an apartment um, empty, a, a vacation home and said, you can stay there for as long as you want. The school of my kids, they attended a private school, called us said, we heard you're back in Cancun. We heard what happened. We're willing to take the kids in you don't have to pay tuition right now we're going to give you school uniforms until you're back on your feet oh so a lot of a lot of support coming in from our community so that was very moving to see 
that for every bad in this, of every evil in this world, there's also yeah. really like a good in people. And that was very, 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 very moving. Absolutely. Yeah. But again, after what happened, I never truly felt safe anymore in Mexico. And my kids then were starting to to get into an age of more teenage, teenagers and I wasn't able to let them out on the street. I would be scared every single day. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to see my kids again. So eventually we decided to move back to Germany, which we did in 2016. And we've been here since. And since we've been able to heal as a family, my husband and I got divorced in the meanwhile, but he's he's fine. He's he's still in Mexico. He's actually about to move to Spain. I love Spain. That's yeah. great. He's going to be so much closer too. Yeah, to, to his kids. Now they're, exactly. they're now... T- 19 and 20 so they're not young adults but of course um he'll he'll be closer to them too they did find the kidnappers too i'm um thankfully it took uh, quite a few more victims unfortunately until uh, the government decided to finally act with each victim they had they became more violent they used to be an an honor of um criminals and they would overstep that for example the honor was always men only not you wouldn't touch Mm. kids or women and they did um i know one of the other of the later victims were was was a young boy i think he was 10 or 12 um they also kidnapped our neighbor a woman mistreated her badly i know they raped her and (sighs) she had a heart attack and died and they still collected the ransom money family never never knew what happened to her until they finally did catch the 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 kidnappers and then the finally the family finally had closure so i think all all in all we were still lucky because my my husband my ex-husband was one of the first victims mm. who was still not as violent yet yeah but they were able to get them after i think they had 15 or 20 victims in the end so a lot of money too yeah and the worst part of it all is the head of the group was a man that went to primary school with my ex-husband. Really? Yeah. The agents had told us that's very common that um, when somebody's kidnapped, not from um, the drug cartels, but, you know, other normal kidnappings, it's usually somebody from that knows you because they they try to identify who has money in their and that's normally the people that they go after and also a lot of time family members even unfortunately too so in that case we knew who it was and it was even more heartbreaking because that person growing up was um was a, a rather poor economy he had a kid a son who had died of cancer and my in-laws had paid the funeral and it's 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 that's a betrayal it's not it's beyond betrayal it's just i don't know yeah yeah sorry i wish you could see my face when i said that because it was very (laughs) once we left to cancun imagine um we had the the house that we had went in tabasco they emptied our house completely everything that was in there everything every everything was gone so it was quite hard having to start start from scratch again but after such a thing what you realize is material things don't matter of course what hurt me were were things the kids toys 
the our photo albums, everything of you know that had sentimental value was gone too. But anyway. who the, the, albums. the, the kidnappers yeah, took it from your house in Cancun? No, from the house in Tabasco that oh. we had rented because once yeah. he was freed, we immediately took off and okay. we were staying with friends. So and they had your keys and everything. Ugh. Yeah, they just walked in and they 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 emptied the house. But Those whatever, fuckers. It's, it's just, like someone once, I mean, I'm not in any way comparing these two things, but someone once broke into my car and stole all my mixtapes. And I was like, what kind of absolute sociopath takes someone else's mixtapes? Yeah, of course. And that's all I can think is like, who the fuck takes photo album? Like, yeah. They were thrown away. They would just empty yeah, the yeah, out. Yeah. They would take everything and then just look through the stuff, I guess. Because, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just so angry. Did you, were you able to get anything back? Like when they no. were caught? No, well, they, they did catch the guy, the head of the group and uh, his close workers that uh, were in the organized crime with him. They took them down. They froze the bank accounts and they confiscated everything of worth. But how it works is that as a family, you don't get anything back, but whatever they are able to retrieve from that sort of organiz organizational crime, they use it for victims' uh, funds, for example, mm -hmm. for therapy or for example where a victim doesn't come back could have been the the father of the family and they need support economic support to feed the kids whatever that's what that money is used for so yeah you can't you can't be angry at that no use of no. funds and they did catch him i just sent the link to johanna earlier um from the one of the newspaper clippings and let me look it up how much they gave him okay so he got 356 years in prison <laughs> he has to pay 36,375 days multa it's called in mexico it's a minimum wage um per day so 36,000 times the minimum wage in fines and so he's never gonna see the daylight out of yeah. prison again. good and i know some of the other guys that um were in the organization with him are also in, in jail. They didn't receive as many years as this guy, but none of them are going to come out. So Good. at least that doesn't make up for anything. No, it really doesn't. But at least what you know is they're not out there doing no good. Yeah, so exactly. Peace of mind. Yep. That was, I'm, wow. I'm having goosebumps yeah. and I knew the story already, but it's still... You think just kind of things happen in movies, right? Yeah, yeah. And how calm you are. Yeah. It's like, and then we smuggled the guys in the back of the car. <laughs> it wasn't always it's, calm. Now it's 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 a few years have passed. And... Of course. Oh, no, of course. I can't imagine anybody. Well, you get that kind of shocky calm that comes over everybody in those situations, but you're certainly not calm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It did I'm take so... a few years to, to be... It helped moving back to Germany. Yeah. Uh, being here, I know we're we're safe. Nothing's gonna happen to us here. But yeah, yeah. what I try to focus on is, is on the on the good of the people because we also received so much love and support yeah. from our community, and that's worth way more than whatever was lost. And it made us stronger as a family, and we grew together. My kids and I, I mean, when we moved back to Germany, we had to start over again. We all, we arrived here with a suitcase and uh, my husband back then, we had offered him to take him along. He didn't want to back then. And it made us, um, it, 
my kids and I have a very special and very thick bond and with, with my ex-husband too. We're still very good friends today. I mean, he's a very, an excellent friend. I, I love him as a person and uh, as the father of my kids. So, That's ideal, really. Yeah. I think uh, we're the, the happiest divorced couple you've, you'll ever meet. And we, we talk quite a bit, of course, mostly about the kids, but whenever it's my birthday, he, he really always is the first one that calls and, uh, yeah, we have That's good nice. Time. I'm so glad that you all came through it together. Did you tell the kids when he was home or did you wait till they were That was older? just my question. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to know. We waited till they were, till he was home and until he was a little better. Yeah. And uh, we sat down at the aunt's house where my kids had been staying at the whole time. And we sat down at the kitchen table and my ex-husband said, so kids, so this is what happened. We were driving home that day after school. Do, we, do you remember? Well, then a few bad guys came and they invited me to come along. And my son invited me. Right there. You got kidnapped, right? So I thought that was heartbreaking yeah. because kids in Mexico grow up. For them, it was just the normal thing. We were trying to, to, to put it into nice words and they exactly knew what was They knew on. immediately, didn't they? Yeah, it's, it's so sad, too, when you realize I had that I was just in Northern Ireland visiting a good mm. friend I hadn't seen in 30 years. And I was talking with her kids and I said something about really casually. I said, you know, oh, my house always looks like a bomb went off. And I think the 11 year old said, oh, dear, did a bomb go off? And <sighs> just do you know what I mean, though? You just yeah. get that little sharp pain in your heart that is like, oh, the fact you had to ask that question. You know, it's just. We uh, always try to heal them from what was going on around mm-hmm. around us in Mexico. So, if we were when we if I, when I was driving them to school and on the radio, they would say, "Oh, we found another mass grave of two hundred thirty. I would turn off the radio. Same on the TV, but there was no escape in Mexico. You no, see you it. can't. You, well, it's well. the same thing, and every every country has their thing, right? Here, it's school shootings. Yeah. Ireland has, you know, it's Mexico has kidnappings. Yeah, but, but other countries really do have it, have it worse, unfortunately. Yeah. Ingrid, what an amazing story. Thank you so much for telling it, really. Of course, of course. Um, not a pleasure, but yeah. 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 I think it's just a really, it, it just what an incredible story of just, the thing that strikes me is just how close a family you have and how you were all able to sort of lean on each other and mm-hmm. your greater family in the community, you know, because I think it's easy to forget sometimes that, you know, our neighbors, we're all in this together. We're all, we're all just trying to survive out yeah. here. And I'm sure they all realize it could be one of theirs, family members. That's just amazing. I'm so glad you all have done so well in the aftermath. Absolutely. I'm grateful for that too. And, in, and again, we have to look at the, I think there's more people out in this world than bad people, but those few bad people really cause a lot of damage. I always say that when people tell me, well, there's, there's just most people are bad people. And I really don't believe that. I think no. most people are neutral to good. Agreed. And if you put them in the, in the situation, they will mostly be good people in yep. one-on-one situations where they really need to step up. but. Uh, yeah, as you said, there's a, a handful of, of evil people 
compared to the amount of good people or neutral people and they are just uh, creating chaos and, and suffering and pain yeah but they're also how Johanna and I met so silver lining it's true it's true it's true thanks Ingrid all right thank you Ingrid You're 